Hi there, and welcome to the ECM Podcast. I'm Friedrich Kunzmann, and I'm excited to be hosting this newest episode of the podcast and take you behind the scenes of new music on ECM Records. Today I'm joined by the great Norwegian musicians Nils Ökland and Sigbjörn Appeland, whose second duo recording for ECM, called Glimmer, showcases their special musical chemistry in a trans-idiomatic context. On the album, the violinist and harmonium player equally draw from traditional folk songs, as well as contemporary music. Much of the album was inspired by the works of the Norwegian painter of the Romantic period, Lars Hertevig. A work of his graces the cover of the album. Nils and Sigbjörn talk about the inspirations behind the music on the album, and how much of it is actually improvised in the moment. They explain how their free jazz influences play into the music and delve into the mechanics of their respective instruments. Hi there, Niels and Zygbjörn. Thanks so much for joining me in the podcast. Hello. Hello. It's nice that we want to make this podcast. Yeah. And I'm really excited to, to dig into the details of, of this new album of yours, Glimmer. Um, I want to start off by talking about your musical partnership of over 30 years now. Um, this is not the first time, of course, that the two of you have collaborated on ECM either. You released the duo album um, Lee Zern in um, 2011, which was quite the intense homage to violinist composer Ole Bull. And like on that record, on this new one, you draw from contemporary music, Norwegian folk music, in addition to music that's inspired by painter uh, Lars Hertevik. There's, um, there's also a piece inspired by the Norwegian composer um, Farta and Valen, who lived in the first half of the 20th century. How did you, how did you two first find together, and what is, what is it that you found in each other's voices that makes you want to further pursue your common ground? Uh, we have been collaborating for, for many years, as, as you say, in, in very different musical uh, constellations. Uh, we only we have not only played as a duo, but also collaborate with other musicians, uh, many singers, and also with the improvising musicians. Uh, so, uh, but I think what we like uh, about playing together is that we both have the, the ability to switch between uh, genres and uh, working methods. Absolutely. I don't know if you agree about that, Nils, but don't. Yes. Uh, and I think it started uh, that Sigmund was organ player outside Haugesund and Örn, and you invite me to join the project, the local music. Yeah, that's true. I, I worked as an organist in the church there and, and I arranged concerts and And I got the idea to invite Nils to uh, to perform some local traditional music together with a singer that time. Uh, and after that, we have continued in many different ways. And like you just said, you both work between the most different idioms. You know, you're always um, crossing some kind of um, boundaries, it seems, musically. And you never you never stay fixed within one genre or one, one language. And... Um, What is that process like to, to go so deep into a territory that, that kind of combines all of these, you know, between improvisation, composition, Norwegian folk, but also maybe something more classical, contemporary? Um, is the process like 
a very open one. That's what I would assume that you just it it, it comes naturally, basically. Well, it feels naturally, but it is cultural thing. It's something we have uh, learned and worked with for many many years. Uh, but uh, now it has become embodied in a way, which sometimes makes us use the word natural, but. Uh, it's uh, also a matter of uh, hard work and uh, research into different kinds of music and ways of uh, improvising, composing. Yeah. So, so, but it's really embodied uh, over the years. In the in your education, then probably too, from where you came. I mean, you you're um, organ educated with church music, Sigbjorn. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it started. My first education was as a classical trained uh, church organist. But later I have uh, been educated within musicology. And today I also uh, work at the University of Bergen uh, with the musicology and also take care of the folk music archive there. Yeah, so like an ethnomusicologist a bit. Exactly. Work. Yeah. I remember one of the first time I heard you play, Sigrun. I think you studied the John Stevens. You went to London to have lessons with him. Yes, I, I did. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's a bit special, uh, uh, both being a classical organist and uh, and having uh, private lessons with a free jazz drummer. But I always uh, like to uh, research or find out of new things, new kinds of music. It's interesting also how you um, can concentrate at all of those inspirations, all of that background into something so minimal and lyrical and... Uh, you know, it, it's not it's not at all nervous music what you guys present on Glimmer. It's very concentrated. It's very lyrical. It's very it's very soothing and beautiful. Mm. And you could think that you know you'd all you'd want to show all of those inspirations at once, but no, it it's it's always very much uh, in the moment, very concentrated. Yeah, but I remember we we have a, a small festival and I should call this Spontan Festival, Spontaneous Festival, and I think that. That's one of the first time I heard you. And I mean, I think you play electric uh, piano and quite hectic. And the next yeah. time I heard from you, it was, you invite me to play this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, the, the tunes that Sigbjorn had collected was almost so short. And they had a very nice singer called Redwood Hogbay, who know the dialect from mm-hmm. this area. And, uh, and then we had to continue with something. So then we we always have to improvise and do to make the uh, songs longer. Yeah. yeah. And, th- and to function on the concert. Interesting. Nils, you mentioned the Spontan Festival, which doesn't exist any longer, but uh, it was uh, an annual event for some years and you were, you were actually the inventor of this. And one of the interesting thing about this festival was that you invited all kinds of music musicians and other artists to uh, to perform and collaborate in your hometown, Haugesund. Uh, and uh, I'm a little bit younger than you, and for young musicians, it was really inspiring to uh, to experience all this and all these strange events and some unexpected meetings between different kinds of musicians and artists and that has uh, really been important not only for me but for many many musicians coming from that area hmm. thank you it, it was also for me uh, uh, important and and he was uh, 
several people. It was, uh, for example, the improviser, a composer, and painter of the Gangsa. He was very important. And we have uh, the poet, Goldman uh, Falkade, and the artist, Eva Rud. We have, uh, it was uh, this small festival, mm. besides anything ourselves, and we got some help from the local culture office and to to uh, to organize but um and it's 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 also um transdisciplinary it's it's not just musical you you're saying there's also poet there it's 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 like a big arts festival then yes they have they have the, the yeah. i mean invited people to do, do something that they have uh would like to do to check out so they ask people to do 20 minute sets mm -hmm. and for example i remember very much it was uh some very good modern dancers, young dancers, they have a project that they improvise. And uh, I think it, they suddenly show up in this small island at Haugesund and uh, it was a tuba player, Elisabeth Bannebo, who was there. And they they made a small dance and music spontaneously. And that was really good, one of the best cool. performances. And so that's kind of the context which you guys met in, which is a very natural context for the two of you, in a way. Yes. And we also have uh, Arvid Gangs, uh, he, he was in contact with the St. Finneru Trio. And I think St. Finneru Trio had their second concert in 10 years on this uh, festival. So we also invite uh, people that we really admire and not right, but first of all, lately. So but it was all nice. I, I, I don't, I, 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 yeah. But, but the, as you said, this was kind of the context. And uh, when uh, Sigbjörn worked as organ player, just one hour drive from here. And, and, This was maybe early 1990 or... Early 90s? Yeah. I just want to mention that uh, I think uh, uh, we played in, in the 1982 trio for 11 years and, and improvised not three together. And I think also maybe in a way influenced this recording, even if we in this recording play play uh, mostly folk melodies and improvised. Hmm. I'm proud of those records. Uh, I think it's good music. Oh, the idea was uh, kind of came from the drummer uh, Aiden Scarber. Yeah, the the three of us play on all these records, and on some of them there are guest musicians also. What is special about it is that uh, all of the music is completely improvised, but it's kind of a disciplined uh, way. So very often it does not sound like uh, free jazz with all these uh, energy explosions and, and stuff like that. So, but it is all uh, everything is improvised. Everything is improvised, meaning that you don't even have a melodic line that is no, no. pre-composed. No, no. Okay. Nothing at all. But wow. the struggle to have uh, gigs in the free improvised uh, music clubs and such thing, because it didn't sound like free improvised music. Sure. <laughs> are there pieces on this record that are that are the same? They're, they're completely improvised without framework? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, think uh, for example, this uh, Rundestar Juve is... Uh, 
like that. And how do you how does that how does that begin? How does that, a conversation that you two as a duo improvise begin? How do you go about it? It depends on uh, the context and the situation and the way the music should be used. If it is music for a film or a theater piece or something like that, of course there are much more limitations because then there is uh, a specific action or a specific mood uh, that is important. Then you have to relate to that. But when we play concerts or when we record, we may just stop play without having any uh, okay anything at all planned before. Both uh, utilize quite characteristic and particular instruments, which is uh, which makes also for something very intriguing. Niels, uh, the hardanger fiddle is considered the national instrument of Norway, as, as far as I've understood. Um, contrary to the violin, it's equipped with eight or nine strings. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's sometimes eight, sometimes nine. sometimes eight, sometimes nine. When did you first come about the instrument? Is that something that you kind of grow grow up with uh, in, in certain uh, contexts in Norway? No, I I played violin, uh, and uh, and uh, I met so, but it was but it was uh, academy or or the academy where we both work, and I met Knut uh, Hammer and Sigurd Bernard Osa, and also a painter uh, Ludwig Eck was he, he was very important for me because. He thought it was a scandal that uh, the students of uh, Norwegian Academy didn't play Haranga fiddle and didn't know. <laughs> so he 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 didn't give us fiddles, but he loaned us fiddles, and uh, I bought my first Haranga fiddle from him. Yeah, for those that don't uh, have no idea what it looks like, it's very or it looks very ornamental compared to a to a to a typical violin, right? It has like little ornaments. Yes, I think this is the old international. Uh, Tradition that also Stradivarius, uh, yeah, he, he also made some, yeah, some decoration and, uh, but it went to, especially after Norway was a free country, they, they have to find some typical Norwegian things and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> quite simple uh, decoration, it was, uh, developed to be more kind of a national instrument like it is today. So discovering that instrument more, what is what are the qualities in a, in that fiddle that re, that are really intriguing to you as compared to just playing violin? I mean, of course, you have a larger register, I would assume. Yeah, well, I I'm not sure uh, how to explain, but I I found out that it has a special sound, and uh, in, in that years I was really interested into uh, I I played a lot of gypsy music and and um, folk music from the uh, old Balkan. Yeah, uh, but. When I start playing this fiddle, I understand that we have a rich tradition in Norway that I didn't know. And I also have a grand grandfather, or a great grandfather, that, that composed Harangville tune and important player. Okay. But I didn't know this music. So I stopped to visit uh, different fiddlers and learn 
Jeg for eksempel vann en rullestøyuba, jeg fikk jeg use fiddle ved tuning called dark blue tuning, that's mostly D's, D on the top, and A and D and D. Uh-huh. Gives a darker sound, it's a violin or a tune like that. So, so I often use that, but I tune my fiddles, so it, it changes the atmosphere. I think that's an uh, important thing about the Hadanga fiddle, that uh, uh, in traditional uh, music for the fiddle, uh, it is tuned uh, different uh, ways for different melodies, but Nils develops uh, this and uh, makes his own uh, tuning sometimes, uh, an experiment with uh, this. So that's uh, really one of the interesting possibilities with that. But this way of tuning, I learned from a fiddler in Gudbrandsdalen, his name was Hans Primi, and he called this dark blue tuning. Dark blue tuning? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cool. And it's, uh, he said it's, it's the few uh, traditional dance tunes on this uh, this way of tuning, but he said it's very few, so you have to make some new, he said. So I, I've made some solo things that I also used in the, the Monograph album. Uh-huh. I, but here I only used it because we want a dark atmosphere. And then you okay. Can... Does it only? Does it only? Um, I, I assume it doesn't only alter the timbre of your in- instrument and the tonal qualities, but it also alter. You know, you you have to you um, the figurations that you use, the fingering, is different. So does it make it easier for certain chordal voicings to be played on it, or or is it is it really just the timbre? Just that it changed the atmosphere in the okay. instruments, and it's just all very old technique that come from the old Gambas. Yeah, and and old guitars and such in old times. Okay, and and, and it's been used by especially the, the composers before Bach, uh, mm-hmm. like Henry Spieber and Smeltzer. They they use this technique. Yeah, in the Clarion world, they call it the uh, scordatura. Yeah, scordatura. No, I also heard that some of the, it were old players that. Uh, when they play the, when they change t- uh, the Juno instrument, they s- still often use the same fingering, and then you can we get really strange melodic phrases. <laughs> Some of the old tunes, it's uh-huh. really. Uh, so I sometimes also do the, this. this. And Zygbjörn, um, you have a, like we said, a broad education as a church musician with a natural emphasis on the organ. Um, what made you pick up the harmonium? Well, I grew up with it. We had a harmonium in our home when I was a child. And that was quite common uh, that people had uh, those instruments in their homes. They were also used in schools and uh, small chapels and other places where people met. And... Um, Many people have considered it as a kind of uh, low-budget or a substitute instrument for the pipe organ. Yeah, but uh, actually, it's uh, it's more related to the accordion. It, uh, it's small metal reeds inside that make the sound, and even the harmonica is uh, relative. Yeah, and you can hear that in the sound of it. There's something a lot more wooden about the sound. Yeah, and there are some uh, interesting dynamic possibilities. Be- uh, that uh, other instruments don't have in the same way. 
Yeah, maybe the accordion. But uh, when you pedal, you pump air into the bellow, and you can adjust uh, the how much air you use. And there are also uh, some, um, at your knees, there are some smaller wooden pieces that you can work as a crescendo. Uh, oh, so you, the volume, you can, okay. And it has yeah, the yeah. volume. Bo mm -hmm. Both the volume and uh, and the sound, how many re resistors you activate. You can do these things with your feet while you're playing. So you make it louder, plus you widen the spectrum of red. Okay. Exactly. 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 Yeah. And also, and I feel like both of those instruments, the hardanger fiddle and the harmonium, there's something about the attack that you always that you, that you hear that is more palpable. You hear the key keystrokes of the harmonium very, very nicely on the album, and they add a percussive layer that yeah. also plays into the music and into your interplay. And the same goes for the attack on the on the fiddle with your bow. Those. Uh, those events are very important to the music and to the way that you guys uh, speak to each other in the music. Oh, I'm happy happy that you <laughs> remarked this because uh, uh, with the harmonium there are always some uh, sounds that musicians normally don't want to be there, like uh, percussive sounds and all kinds of sounds that are not made from the reeds but other parts of the instrument. Yeah, and that normally people try to minim minimize uh, these sounds, but I, instead I try to use this as, uh, as an extension of the instrument. Absolutely, and I feel that it creates something more intimate because when you're a musician, you're sitting at the instrument, you always hear those things happening. That it's yeah. part of making music, be it on the guitar, even electric guitar. There's the amp, but you hear the strings, right? That you're playing yeah, right under exactly. your fiddle. Same for the you're right by the fiddle, right by the violin. You hear all of that happening, so you're you're closer as a as an audience of or as someone listening to that album to what's happening with the instrument. I was about to say something about I think the harmonium is a very advanced instrument that you can make crescendos and decrescendos that you, for example, cannot do on the piano. It's sometimes to play like to play together the string orchestra or something. There's something really dynamic about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so, sometimes when I'm playing more conventional music, like uh, pop music and stuff like that in the studio, I very often use the harmonium uh, like you would use a string synthesizer or something like that. You can use it in similar ways, but harmonium is a little bit more dynamic in a way. Yeah. I was also say that I play play also a lot of wild records. So yeah, yeah, of course. Or less half and half. Uh, yeah. Half and half, yeah. And, uh, you know, talking about the record, the repertoire... Um, you, Sigbjörn, you collected uh, pieces from local singers in Western Norway, a couple of which figure on this recording uh, in, in maybe um, in variants, because you, you also improvised both the two of you. Um, can you talk about the origin of these, these folk tunes? Yeah, it's a mix of uh, old things that we have found in archives, uh, both uh, written uh, manuscripts and uh, sound recordings from the 1950s and 60s. Yeah. And uh, some of it uh, I have collected myself because uh, that has been a part of my my job at the Folk Music Archive to interview and uh, record people. So it's a mix of uh, quite old uh, transcriptions from uh, around 1900 onwards. And in the liner notes, you guys mention that um, you love to improvise on that folk music. Um, let's talk about that, the factor of improvisation in your music, because um, 
It is very... Of course, it has nothing to do with improvisation and typical, you know, 60s jazz or whatever, post-pop. It's something, it's something very different. It's folk improvisation. How much, um, how big is the, the improvised part as compared to the composed part? It's different from piece to piece, I will say, because uh, sometimes we play the tunes as they were written or sung without adding very much to it. And sometimes we just use it as a kind of uh, idea, a point of departure, and uh, have a very extremely free approach to it. And some of the other music that we play that is not based on traditional tunes, uh, sometimes completely impressed as well. Mm -hmm. But I think we have a lot of uh, artistic uh, luggage or inspiration from, uh, for example, uh, free jazz from the 60s and 70s. Even if you can't hear it, obviously, it's, it's a part of our approach to music still. It's definitely not something obvious that sticks out, I have to admit. No. It's, it's, <laughs> we wouldn't think about that in, in this context. <laughs> I have a sort of comment there that... Uh, when you ask me why I stopped playing Hadanga Fiddle, I, yeah. I, I, I admire very much uh, the saxophone player Karl Neumann, same generation as Stravarik. I always listened to this and I asked him to get some lessons. It, was, it wasn't so easy, but I met Karl and uh, Björn Andresen, the bass player in Tindru uh, Trio in, in the park in Oslo. And, and Björn was easier to get lessons in. And then I improvised. With him, he said that it sounds much more personal when I play Havana to the Uh-huh. Uh, he said that when you play violin, it sounds like a mixture of Capelli and stuff, Smith or something. But okay. when I play when, when I play Havana fiddle with lots of open strings and I said that, that was much more interesting. Yeah. And we even made we made uh, LP with his compositions mainly. Uh, solid 68 uh, copies. <laughs> but that but, but was really uh, just for the influence. When we took this uh, influences Sigbjörn about from me, that, that's what's really uh, important for me. That's a really interesting context for this record, I feel, to know that, that that's also in there and in your approach to what you do. Because like I was, my question I asked as if it was obvious that it's not in there, you know, but it's that's not the case, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I just want to mention that I, I was really, I tried to learn to play standard jazz, but I, I wasn't very good on that. But I, I really admire the three, three people. Yeah, yeah. Another part of your repertoire on this record is based on or inspired by the painter Lars Hertevik. Um, you composed music for a film about him, and some of the music uh, is inspired by his paintings. I assume you were very aware of his work before you approached the film project. I think uh, he is really one of the most famous Norwegian painters. He, he lived from 1830 to 1902. He was educated in Düsseldorf uh, and was a landscape painter. Yeah. So it was definitely a, a romantic painter, but maybe a, a little bit more mysterious and obscure. 
that might have a connection to uh, him suffering from uh, mental diseases most of his life. And he died as a very, very poor man. And his paintings got famous uh, after his death. But Tertovic also uh, grew up in the same area that we come from. And of course, it was uh, very inspiring for us to know that such great artists could come from these small rural uh, places. It's been an important inspiration for me, at least, or most of my life, I would say. And how did you go about composing music uh, for the for the for the film? Is that is, was it was it music that was developing anyways, and you just used it for the film, or is it something that you really that are that is really closely related to the paintings of his? It's a long, it's a long story. I think you know most about that, Nils. It started with this uh, theater uh, project. Yeah, it was a theater project called Melancholia, and that was uh, made by. Uh, Small theater here in Hudson and Svarevåge, who was, the, um, was there, and he collaborated the Stavanger Theater and Oslo Theaters. And they, we was asked to make the music, and that was about 2000, I think. And when this film was made, they have used some of this music, because we want to record some of this music on our album called Peace. Mm -hmm. and, and then they asked us to make new music for, for the film. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I remember it was two different directors, and I, I remember I called to have most as most much as possible of a new music in the film. But in the end, uh, editing, they have also used a lot of old music. So, okay, this was a <laughs> long process for uh, where they first make music to the field piece, and uh, it was based on Jun Foster's uh, novels about Lars Okay, and uh, after that, it was Vestiri. And um, as we mentioned earlier, you also included a piece that you wrote for the composer Fatain Valen, and, or with him in mind. He was the first um, Norwegian composer, you mentioned this also in the liner notes, to deal with uh, atonal music. Mm -hmm. And accordingly, the piece um, takes a sidestep from the otherwise very lyrical material on the album and explores very subtle dissonant knots constructed around a 12-tone series, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, it is a 12-tone uh, melody that I made, but uh, we use it in a quite free uh, way. So we play it forward and backwards and uh, mirror and uh, use these techniques, but we uh, we uh, have a completely free approach to it. We have uh, not uh, agreed uh, how we should uh, solve it in each performance. So yeah. it will be different for each performance. So first you introduce it, but then you kind of go go away from it, or you 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 just do your thing. We we do, uh, and we are kind of traditionalist in the way that we use this uh, free polyphonic uh, style that uh, these uh, uh, early twelve tone composers also used. But we we uh, our approach is more like we the way we play a standard tune or a chill yeah. time or a folk lead or anything like that. And um, how do you guys go about, I mean, improvising? I think I would say that the harmonium is mainly mainly responsible for the harmonic uh, backdrop uh, at times. And then you, you're you the you're the melodic, you know, the melodic lead on, on violin, um, Niels. Of course, that's not true all the time. And, and there's variation. And of course, the harmonium plays a melodic, a lot of melodic parts, too. But improvising, 
do you is there a lot of um do you improvise a lot of harmony too as in do you really take complete sidesteps or, or is the harmonic framework mainly given and you keep to it uh Zygbjörn? yeah we do uh, different uh, techniques on different tunes so, but uh, when you're talking about uh, the harmonic yeah, thing i would like to mention that when nils play the hadron fiddle uh this instrument uh, is different from the violin uh, yeah since that the the bridge is is more flattened it's not as bold as on the violin uh -huh. and that makes it easier to uh, to play on different on several strings at the same time so you have double stop and stuff like yeah, that more yeah exactly mm -hmm. and, and when you do things like that on the on the fiddle that's an important harmonic element for sure true i don't know if you agree about that Nils, but uh I think on it. I would say that it's, it's interesting. And I also think I have a comment with this Hatten uh, Wahlen inspired piece by you. But uh, you made different versions of it, uh, both on Wilden and Hardanger Pitty. And I think Manfred Eicher ended up uh, using the Hardanger Pitty. Yeah. And that was quite a different atmosphere. I think when I play Wilden, it was more like classical chamber music. But I think on this uh, uh, version that's on record, it was more, as you Sigan said, more open-minded and linked to the other type of repertoire that it used on the record. I just want to mention uh, that um, the cover, the album cover. Yeah. Uh, and I must say personally, I'm really happy that uh, the ECM and still uh, publish uh, physical versions. Yeah, great. And there will be a vinyl later. But the cover painting here uh, at that album is made by uh, Lars Hertovic. Uh, that's a sketch. He, as I said, he was a very poor man and Sometimes he couldn't afford a real canvas or paper for his uh, work. So he was um, drawing and painting on uh, tobacco paper and uh, these uh, labels from uh, sardine, canned sardine boxes and stuff like that. And sometimes wow. you can see this uh, through the, the painting, this uh, stamps from this uh, tobacco paper. So on this cover, maybe even the the writing is it's not part of the artwork. It was just there. Is that what you're saying? Maybe you can't be sure. I don't know the details exactly about that one. No, nobody can be really sure. But I've never seen it before. I've seen a lot of Hatterick's production, but not not maybe it's from one of his uh, sketch books. I don't know. But th this was also kind of. Uh... Recommendation of uh, for the listeners to to buy the physical thing, the album, because I think it's a value in itself. This this these physical publications, and uh, personally, I would also like to add that uh, as a young music enthusiast, the ECM records were so inspiring. So when I was a young man, I bought all the ECM records that I could find in the surf <laughs> because I knew they were always good and the covers were always good. So they they were valuable.
Nils Ökland and Siegbjörn Appeland on their new recording, Glimmer. Thank you for joining me in the ECM podcast. I'm Friedrich Kunzmann, and I look forward to present more new music from ECM very soon. <laughs>